0: May be seated. I feel like the Lord's given me a message today. We, it's, it's on rest. We were talking about the Shabbat rest a couple of weeks ago and how God, in his incredible wisdom, he sets things in place from the beginning. Cycles of blessing. And if we choose as Russ would say, choose to accept this, 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 this thing is what is, yeah, that, that we will be blessed when we walk in these ways. And, and we talked to, about a Shabbat, a day of where we step into God's rest every week. He's intentional about us embracing these special holy days. It's not a random thing. And I don't know, but this last week has been an incredibly spiritually hectic, crowded week. I don't know about you, but I've just, my spirit is at rest, but my soul has not been at rest. We've had to cry out to get that rest. And that's what I want to talk about today. But I just want to give a little bit of a review as we talked about the Shabbat rest. God says every week to observe and to remember. And when we do that, when we take this time, and I see Shabbat as a time of coming together. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of celebration. Where we, and we, it's a time where we also celebrate the new identity that he's given us. It's a time where we celebrate being in a new family. Amen? It's a time of where we recognize and we, and we realize that, that he has broken this, the power of sin in our lives. That it's also a time where we, we are re- reminded of our destiny and that we have a destiny and a hope and a future that is guaranteed and eternal. He calls us every Shabbat day to rehearse an eternity with him. But it's our choice to enter in if we want to take that assignment or not. I choose to enter into that day of rest. It's also a day where we physically need to be restored. We're not supposed to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Yes, God's called us to work, but not to burn ourselves out. It's like that bow that I was talking about last week. The archer relies upon that bow, but if it's stringed, taut, all the time, it loses its flexibility. It loses its purpose. So God calls us to that Shabbat rest to be restored and strengthened for the battles ahead. Today I want to talk about something else, a different kind of rest. I call it a dominion rest, although it's not. that term is not in the scriptures, but it's a different rest than the Shabbat day of rest. It's a place of rest. It's a place of rest where we enjoy our personal promised land. You know, in the scriptures, in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about the rest of God, and it mentions two specific rests. And the Greek word is, one of them is katapausis, katapausis, which is a dwelling place or an abode, a dwelling place or an abode. That's in verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews chapter 4. A dwelling place, and then later on in that same chapter, it talks. It uses another term for rest, sabbastosmos, sabbastosmos, which sounds more like Sabbath rest, and that's exactly what it means—a day of rest. So there's a different rest. There is the a place of rest, an abode of rest, and a day of rest. God calls us into a place of rest. And that's what I want to talk about today. Just like he called the children of Israel into a place of rest. We see this in Joshua chapter chapter 21, verse 43. They'd wandered in the wilderness and then they blew it. Remember, they blew it. They didn't go in. And God said, I'm giving you this land, but they didn't go in and they wandered for 40 years until that generation died off. But in Joshua 21, they're getting ready to enter. That generation has died off. It says, so Adonai gave Israel the entire land that he had sworn to give their fathers. They took possession and settled in it. Then Adonai gave them rest on all sides. That's that place of rest. Just as he had sworn to their fathers, not one man of all their enemies withstood them, for Adonai gave all their enemies into their hand. So he gave them a place of rest. And then we see this in David. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 18, Is not Adonai your God with you? Is not Adonai your God with you? Is he living inside of you? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Has not Adonai your God with you? Has he not given you rest on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before Adonai and before his people. Now set your hearts and souls to seek after Adonai your God. Rise up and build the sanctuary of Adonai Elohim so that you can bring the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai, the presence of the Lord, and the holy of, the holy vessels of God into that house built for the name of Adonai. But he first had to subdue their enemies and bring them into this place of rest for that to happen. So a place of rest is not like the Sabbath rest where we cease from activity. Under contrary, a place of rest We enter in actually with war. You you feel like you've been warring this week, anybody? It's a place of labor and struggle. God says, I'm giving you this, but we have to war for that. We have to struggle for that and labor for that. God gave me a promised land. I'm not talking about a place. I'm talking about a promised land he showed that to me and, and um, through a picture and also through some words that he spoke to me. My promised land is, several years ago, Millie and I were living temporarily in the city of Prague, a beautiful city in the Czech Republic. And it's a city that straddles a river and there's bridges all over that city, beautiful bridges. There's one bridge in particular, it's called the Charles Bridge. Anybody ever been to the Charles Bridge, seen the Charles Bridge? It's beautiful. And um, interesting thing is there was a couple that we were called to minister to. They were totally, God had called, they were leaders of the church in Bulgaria, but they were fried, totally fried. The wife was catatonic for a couple of weeks, could not even get out of bed, could not talk. And the Lord spoke to us and said, come to where we were, Millie and I, and get on a 30-hour bus ride. Now, the Lord tells this to tell these people who are fried, get on a 30-hour bus ride from Sofia, Bulgaria, to come to where we are. And they did, because the Lord was speaking to them. They came, and we ministered for at least two weeks, every single day, with a husband and wife. And God brought such healing. And then they wanted to renew their wedding vows. And so the Lord made it very clear, we're to go to that bridge, the Charles Bridge, and that's where we're going to renew these the wedding vows. We did, it was beautiful. And this is This is like 20 years ago. And God has blessed this couple, Peter and Anilia. They're just like our kids, and God has used them mightily in the last 20 years. But while we're on that bridge, the Lord spoke to me and says, You're a bridge. See, that's my promised land. A bridge connects two pieces of land separated by water. A bridge is a connector. God has called me and I to be that. That's our promised land, to be connectors. To be connectors between the the Messianic Jewish body here in in the United States with the Messianic Jewish body in Israel. That's our heart. But also a bridge with the church here in this area too. God's called us to be a bridge so that people can walk freely. It's freely, you come onto the bridge and you leave that bridge. It's it's a free place. It's also a place you get walked on too. That's what bridges, they're walked on, you know. But that's my promised land. That's what God has called us to, is to be a bridge. And He spoke something else to me. And this is what I mean talk about your promised land is whatever God has given you as your purpose, your destiny, your calling. He spoke to us years ago, even before we came to Colorado. And He said, Your job description for the rest of your life is create a place for my presence, create a place for my presence. That's your job, to be a bridge and to create a place for my presence. That's my promised land. Yes, I love Israel. We have a calling to Israel, but my promised land is to create a place wherever I am for his presence. That's my promised land. What's your promised land? But to enter into that place, enemies have to be defeated. You see, you have an enemy. He does not want you to take possession of your land. He will do everything. He will lie to you. He will put obstacles up. He will bring shiny objects into your life to detract you from entering and taking possession of your promised land. They have to be defeated. There's no compromise with the enemy of your souls. He will try to occupy, and once you take that inheritance, he will not give up. He will try to occupy your inher- inheritance, and you have to remind him on a regular basis, no, this is what God has called me to do, and you are a trespasser. You have no right. You have no authority in my life any longer. We have to do that. That's our job is to, that's how we fight That's how we struggle. When God gives us, we walk into that, but we have to possess that by casting out the enemy. If he's not physically removed totally, even after we've secured that promised land, he will attempt to come back in. Anybody identify with that? Anybody have their destiny destiny stolen that you're, you got to get that back from and take that back. You have the authority. So I'm talking about rest, and yet I'm talking about a battle that we're in. We were doing battle today, guys. We were doing battle in here today. That's what I mean. We have a a promised land. We have a calling as a congregation to speak life and to be light. But we have to battle because we have an enemy. How do we lose our rest? Turn to Psalm 95. We're gonna go a few minutes longer today, but that's okay, because that's pretty normal. Yeah, and yeah, that's a good point. And I'm not, I am here, our enemy is not flesh and blood, it's not people, it's not Republican, Democrat, it's not left, right, that's not it at all. There is a spiritual component. There is an enemy, a devil, and he's got his little demons, his little messengers. And, and he is the prince of this world. He's the prince of the air. So I'm not talking flesh and blood. You, I think you know that. But, but in Psalm 95, I love this. I want to read the entire psalm. Oh, come let us sing for joy to Adonai. This is talking about when we're at that place of rest. It says, oh, let us sing for joy to Adonai. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Where are you at? There you are. Rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to, to him with songs. For Adonai is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the mountains speak, the mountain peaks are his also. The sea is his. He made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come. Let us worship and bow down. You see, that's who he is. He created us all, and he's called us into that place of worship in him. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock of his hand. We're actually singing these songs today. Today, if you hear his voice, do do not harden your heart, as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah, in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they challenged me. Even though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation. So I said, it is a people whose heart goes astray, who do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, they shall never enter into my rest. So God is this awesome God who created everything. He calls us to enjoy, but... How do we lose that rest? By unbelief, just as the children of Israel, they refused. God said, I'm giving you this land. He says, "Uh uh-uh. That spirit of unbelief, I believe there's two root sins, unbelief and pride. Just about every sin comes out of those two roots, unbelief and pride. Unbelief says, God, I don't think you can do this. God, you're not able, you're not powerful enough to do this. You may be able to do it for Judith, and you may be able to do it for Sandy, but I don't think you can do it for me. That's unbelief. So if I'm struggling with that sin of unbelief, and I have a a mindset that says God's not going to do it, why should I pray? Why should I do anything? You see how unbelief? Why should I take possession of? Of something because it won't work. God's not able. That's unbelief. That's how we lose our rest. Secondly, we lose our rest when we refuse to war for our promise. How many of you, God gave a promise a long time ago? And did it just happen? You walk into that promise and go, oh, okay, great. And live in this garden forever and ever and ever. No, you have to battle for that. You have to battle for that. So we lose our rest when we refuse to war for the promises that God has given us. The people were challenged, and they, they, they were tested, and they tested, and they challenged God. An example of, of refusing to war for your promise. Esau. Esau. Esau had the promise. He had the promise of an inheritance, but he let his fleshly desires. He sold that inheritance It wasn't worth fighting for, for Esau. He sold it for a bowl of stew. No pun intended. But you see what I mean? He didn't war for his inheritance. Unbelief, refusing to war for your promise. Second and and lastly, disobedience, idolatry. If God can't do it, I'm going to create my own God. And what happens is we become our own gods, don't we? We kind of do it our way, idolatry. And God says in in the word in Deuteronomy chapter 28, first of all, the beginning of that chapter is awesome. He says, these are the blessings. These are the blessings. When you do these, you will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and when you go out. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you put your hands to, you will be blessed. And then 64 and 65 says, Adonai will scatter you. If you don't, the curses will come upon you. And And he says, Adonai will scatter you and there you will serve other gods. Wood and stone that you and your fathers had not known. Among these nations, you will find no rest. So when we're in idolatry, when we're made ourselves God, we're not going to experience the rest of God. And there will be no rest for the sole of your foot. But there, Adonai will give you a trembling heart and failing eyes and a despairing spirit. This is the result of the curse. Lack of rest is a curse. A place of dominion and rest. And a time of Shabbat. God, we're meant it to be together. The day of rest and a place of rest were meant to be together. God created a place and a day, and he placed man in both. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, then Adonai Elohim caused to sprout from the ground every tree that was desirable to look at and good for food. Now, the tree of life was in the middle of the garden, and also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, then Adonai Elohim took the man and gave him rest in the garden of Eden. It was a sacred place. It was a place of rest in the garden. In order to cultivate and watch over it, Then Adonai Elohim commanded the man, saying, From all the trees of the garden you are most welcome to eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you must not eat, for when you eat from it, you most assuredly will die. You will lose your rest. There's a place of rest called a garden. Laid out in Genesis chapter 2, God placed man right in it and says, Let's enjoy this. Let's enjoy this. God had already set a day, the Shabbat, the Shabbat, in place where he rested from all things, but it's also a place of labor and productivity, too, in that garden. And that word, that Hebrew word for rest there is noach, like Noah. Noach. It's a Hebrew word for rest. It literally to dwell in safety. It means to dwell in safety and peace god gave him that place of dwelling gave him rest noah what did it look like man cultivated the land god brought the increase he worked there was labor productivity were part of god's plan to fulfill god created us to work that's good he had to plow the ground plant the seed do do these things but it was not a burden It was something he did because God gave him. What did God give him? He gave him authority to subdue everything that was there. It was man's. See, work is part of God's plans to fulfill. And destiny is to rule and reign. And he had to exercise authority over everything, including the devil. And that's why he said, watch over it. The devil was down there. The devil was there. But who had the authority? Man had the authority. To secure that relationship, to to secure that inheritance that God gave man, he had to drive out and keep the devil out from the garden. Don't even entertain a conversation with him. See, when we agree with the enemy, when we agree with the enemy, it leads to compromise. When we compromise, eventually we lose our inheritance. And what happened was man entered into an agreement with the devil and lost his place of dominion. Yeshua had to come to win that place back of dominion. And so what was a joy to work before, what was pleasant, it was not a burden. Now it becomes a burden to work. The land has become cursed. But God, through Yeshua, is calling us back to that place of rest. He's calling us back to that place of dominion rest. That's why Yeshua came. From that moment in the garden where Adam and Eve took of the fruit, the plan was set in motion. At the right time, Yeshua was to come and strip that authority back from the enemy, which was given to him by us, by man. And you say, well, it wasn't me. I wasn't there. Yes, we were in Adam. The scriptures say, in Adam all die. That's why we had to be rescued, and Yeshua at the right time had to come to win that back that place of rest back. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Starting in verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you has an evil heart of unbelief that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day by day, as long as it is called today. That's why I love when we get together. Because guess what? We get to encourage one another. So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partners of Messiah. If we hold our original conviction firm until the end. As it is said today. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now which ones heard and rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt with Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his noach, his rest? Was it not to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter in rest because of lack of trust. Let us fear then. Though a promise of entering his rest is open, is left open, some of you would seem to have fallen short. For we also have had good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the word they heard did not help them because they were not united with those who listened in faith. Unified with those who listened in faith. For we who have trusted are entering into that rest. It is just as God has said, So in my wrath, I swore, they shall never enter my rest, even though his works were finished since the foundation of the world. We enter into that dominion, that place of rest through our work, which is trusting. We trust that Yeshua will do what he says. We enter the Sabbath rest through his work. So see how they come together? We enter place of rest when we trust, doing what God's called us to do, so that when we enter into the Sabbath, it's through his work, and also Yeshua's finished work at the cross, that we can enjoy him. It's finished work through Yeshua. This is how they work together. Israel turned back at Kadesh Barnea from that dominion rest. God had given him a promise of the land, Numbers chapter 13, we read this sorry story. It's tragic. Verse 26, they traveled and returned to Moses after the spies had been sent into the land. And the spies were the one from each tribe, and they were the best of the best. These are the cream of the crop. These are the seal teams. They went in to spy out the land. And they traveled and returned to Moses, Aaron, and the entire community of Bnei Israel at Kadesh, in the wilderness of Paran, they gave their report to them and the entire assembly. So they, they went and they saw and they came back with a report. Verse uh, 32, they spread among B'nai Israel a bad report about the land they explored, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. the land through we passed to explore devours its residents. All the people we saw there, they are All the people they saw there were men of great size. What eyes, what kind of eyes were they looking at, looking through? What kind of eyes were they looking through? Not of the kingdom, that's for sure. Fleshly eyes. They were looking at things like out of just flesh and blood eyes. They had forgotten the promise that God gave of them. We also saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes as well as theirs. We just looked tiny and small, incompetent, inferior, not strong enough compared to those guys. And that's the message that they brought back. They forgot the promise of God. They saw through earthly eyes, worldly eyes, and not the eyes of the kingdom, not eyes of faith. God had already said, I'm giving you this land. God had already promised that. They had saw the works of God. They had saw him depart part the sea and do all of these wonderful things, but they tested and they challenged God, and they said, "Nope, we can't do this. God, you're not big enough. Talk about the sin of unbelief. There it is right there. And guess what? The majority rules. But God was not part of the equation. And when God gives you an impossibility, how many feel like they've ever received an impossible promise of God? Okay? We all have that tendency to do what they did and say, man, I'm like a grasshopper. There's no way, except here's the problem. It's not a problem. Here's the solution. God is always the variable in any situation. He can do all things. He is mighty and able to do it whatever crisis is going on, and today we're in the midst of several crises, God is the the variable. God is the one we cry out to. It's not an issue of left or right, which party, which political party at all. It's what God is saying and putting our trust in what God is saying. So how do we maintain our rest in the midst of a national, a global meltdown and We've all seen a global meltdown in the last three or four months. Through the virus, through the violence that's racked this country in the last couple of weeks. Damn why don't you get ready for worship? And I want to go back to the two trees. First heard a teaching on the, on these two trees, and you've heard all you've all heard teachings on the two trees many, many years ago. I believe that they're they're actually. I think there were real trees there, but I also believe that there are ways of living. They represent ways of living. They, sources of living our lives out of. The trees represent a source of our living, where we get our, our, our very substance from. How do you know which tree you're living in? I built a tree house in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How do you know? what tree you're living in. You know, it's pretty obvious if I'm feeling anxious about a lot of things, if I'm feeling fearful about many things, confused, disoriented, depressed, those are not life-giving emotions, are they? They're not life-giving sources. That's not the tree of life. How do we know which tree we're living out of? The tree of the knowledge of Good and evil. It's not the tree of good and evil. Many people just think it's good and evil. Well, it sounds good. I will know good from evil. It's the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, and he makes it very specific. As a matter of fact, it's the first Torah he gives to man. I'm placing you near this. I'm giving you a place of rest for you and I. A place to enjoy. And there's two specific trees he mentions. He says, there's the tree of life. Enjoy it as much as you want. There's also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat on it. The day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Those words are still valid today. When we eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's a death that takes place. Depression, fear, anxiety. We lose focus. We're talking about refocusing. We need to refocus on the tree of life in the middle of the tree. In Genesis 3, 6, we see the fruit of the tree. I'm not going to get into my theory about the fruit. It just wouldn't. I have a theory, but it's not important right now. I don't believe it was an apple. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Now the woman... Saw that the tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food, and that it was a thing of lust for the eyes, and that the tree was desirable for imparting wisdom. Sounds good, but what it is, that tree looks great, but it appeals to my fleshly appetites. My flesh wants to do it, I want to do this. It's lust for the eyes, and what is lust? Lust is a passionate or overmastering desire or craving where my self control is subverted or removed. Lust is when I am just so totally, I'm not able to control myself any longer. That's what lust is. That's what that tree was. And the wisdom that's talked about is not the wisdom from heaven, but it's an earthly, worldly wisdom. And we see a lot of that today, don't we? Turn with me to. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, let him show his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. You see, there is a wisdom that sounds good, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and it's demonic. We're surrounded by that kind of wisdom today. Decisions are being made for our lives every day based on that wisdom. For Where where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil practice. What are we experiencing? What are we seeing? Disorder. We're seeing chaos. We're seeing the love of many is growing cold. When there's godlessness that leads to lovelessness but the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable gentle open to reason that's why i love what bill shared last week it's peaceable peaceable it is gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial not hypocritical And the fruit of righteousness is sown in shalom by those who make shalom. So it compares. There's a contrast between earthly wisdom, which is demonic, and the wisdom from heaven. Earthly wisdom is like this. You have to know what's right or wrong. You're not going to be at peace unless you know what's right or wrong. What's good or bad. We have a, we've seen we've seen it even in science versus faith. Science versus faith, mask no mask, the whole argument, it's all there. Wisdom from the earth, wisdom from heaven. We have an opportunity to walk in the wisdom of heaven. I've seen the earthly wisdom tear apart congregations and nations. That's what's happening here in this country today. But God is calling us to live out of that tree of life. Stand with me. Let's look again at some of the fruit from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see it. You've you've read the story. You know what it looks like. Leads to shame, fear, blame, which brings on tiredness, division, and depression. That's how you know when you're living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is death that's spiritual death, and I believe it leads to physical death. How are we doing? How are we doing, guys? No one's mind is being changed on social media. Nobody's minds are being changed by all the different arguments. Nobody's in agreement on anything. Have you noticed that? Everybody's got their camp that they're in. And they're not being swayed by anybody or anything. And there are facts. There's there's facts on both sides of every argument. But God has called us to live out of another tree. A tree of life. This is how we obtain, how we eat this fruit. Father, what will bring life into this situation? Father, Show me, speak to me. That's why we cry out to heaven. What will bring life to somebody else in this situation? Sometimes you got nothing else to say, but he is risen. risen. Baby, that's all we got. Revelation chapter 22, verse two. We revisit those trees. Revelation 22, verse 2 says, On either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And I love this part. And the leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations. I, I tell you what, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil doesn't bring healing to anybody. But the tree of life brings healings to nations. Verse 14 of Revelation 22. How fortunate are those who wash their robes. This is a picture of consecration. God has called us to be his children. We're his bride, preparing herself for the bridegroom. Consecration. There is no other God. We're not looking at any other false lovers. So they, that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the, to the city. What happened when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were forced out of the garden because now they had never-ending life, but they were eating from the wrong tree, and God couldn't have that. See, but God brings us through to him, the tree of life where we have eternal life, not never-ending life, but eternal life, which is never-ends but it's with him, and now we have the freedom to eat from the tree of life. Those are the ones who may enter through the gates in the city, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. How do we, what is the fruit of the tree of life? Father, what will extend your kingdom? What will bring peace into this situation, whatever situation you find yourself in? Oh, I know what it'll be. More argument, more debate. That'll work. No, it won't. My opinion doesn't amount to anything. More disunity. How can I love others? Father, this is what the the fruit of the tree of life looks like. How can I love others and pray in the midst of a crisis? Yeshua speaks about that, and I'm almost done. Hang in there. I know this is, but that's okay. Yeshua speaks into this in the sermon, the Torah from the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. How can I love others? By being poor in spirit. He loves and blesses those who mourn, who who grieve with others. He blesses those who walk in humility, those who are meek. He blesses those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be filled. He blesses those who are merciful. He blesses those who are pure in heart and those who are peacemakers. And yeah, you're going to be persecuted when you live like that, but that's where the blessing is. So we can experience peace and no good by being in intimate relationship with he who is perfectly good. We don't need to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to know what good is and what evil is. When we are eating and sustaining ourselves from the tree of life, we're in intimate relationship with he who is perfectly good. I just want to finish with this. And just 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 close your eyes and receive these words from Paul in Philippians chapter 4. And then we're going to close the service. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And by the way, Paul is in prison when he's writing this. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Yeshua. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any virtue and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Turn off CNN, Fox News. Turn off your social media, your Facebook, your Twitter accounts because I guarantee they're not bringing these things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Dwell on these things. What you have learned from me and received and heard and seen in me, put these into practice, and the God of Shalom will be with you. May the God of Shalom be on you, in you, and may he live his life through you. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Why don't we stand and just close with a, a